Let's get it. Wednesday, July 31st, 2019. Born the Battle, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our American veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. This is vacation episode part deux, number two. I recorded this before I left about a week ago. I'm out camping, fishing, so I won't be getting into any previous show feedback, ratings, reviews, or news releases. We will get back to our regular programming next week. In the meantime, I can guarantee that you all out there in podcast land are getting closer to that bonus episode with Air Force veteran Adrian Kronauer of Good Morning Vietnam fame, interviewing the one, the only producer, actor, comedian, and Army veteran Mel Brooks. All you got to do to hear that episode is leave a rating or review on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or Apple Podcasts. When I left, you were all pretty close to that goal of 100. As for news releases and other VA, you know, interesting nuggets, I'm sure a couple have dropped since I've left. And if they're not in the main carousel at blogs.va.gov, they're in the ticker at the top of the homepage. So just go to blogs.va.gov. There's always something good on that blog anyways. All right. So I met our, so I met this week's guest back when I went to Burbiz. We struck up a conversation and we've been talking ever since. He's also the CEO of Pop Smoke Media, and he is behind either developing or promoting some of the funniest military theme memes that you've seen either on Facebook or Instagram. Because if you're a veteran, you're probably following or you're one of your friends are following Pop Smoke on either Facebook or Instagram. So we talked about how he got his meme empire off the ground, why he started his podcast, his own relationship with the VA, combat stress, and since he was a grunt, and support networks that can help mitigate those stressors. So without further ado, I bring to you Marine veteran and owner of the Meme Empire Pop Smoke Media, Daniel Sharp. Enjoy. Okay, I'm I'm picking I'm opening LinkedIn. I barely use that. I know I should. I all right, I just sent you a uh, a connection. Okay. Uh, my network added one, Daniel Sharp, except what did it say? Contributing editor? Yeah, for American Military News. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've written a few stories for them. Um, I did an article in on location in Havana, and I did one on location in Moscow. Oh, okay. I also did an expose on Chronico because they, uh, for over... For uh, over six months, Marines have been complaining about having brown water uh, coming out of the faucets in the barracks. And, in Quantico? Yeah, nobody was doing anything about it. So I um, started contacting uh, Public Affairs and uh, you know, and Quantico and the Pentagon. And then like the next day, there was a work truck there. And the Marines said that the water quality was getting better. Did it? Yeah, and I wrote an article on it. And it was just, it was just sad that it came to that, that like, you know, like a uh, a journalist had to call and be like, Hey, why have these Marines had brown water for six months? And they're like, Oh yeah, we'll fix that. 
Hoorah, Marine Corps. I, I posted the article and I was honestly overwhelmed with the um, the amount of people who messaged me with pictures and videos of either, you know, brown water in their barracks or mold. And and it was it was kind of the point where like it was it was almost too much to take in where like I know at some point in time when I know that I have like a good month or two to dedicate to all this, that I should do something about it. It's just like I, I just feel like I can't half step that. And it's been a problem for so long. The brown water? Yeah, not only that, but like the the black mold in the barracks too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because like here in my apartment, like, um, or, you know, if you own a home or whatever, like if you have, um, you know, black mold all around your vents, like you take care of it, it gets done. But yeah, you- that's not the case in the military. Like I remember I had black mold for the entire like nine months that I lived in my barracks before we deployed. Yeah. No, I, I'm right there with you. I had black mold and, you know, you always get the, I was in that condemned, it's now condemned barracks on at Henderson Hall before they oh, condemned yeah. it. And the, it had the, it had cement catwalks. It didn't have the metal catwalks. It had with the, with the metal railings. It was like cement railing, cement catwalk, and it was cracked to where it was like a downward slope. <laughs> but uh they finally condemned it they found they moved the marines over to um fort meyer near arlington and then i had to go bug my marines over there but by that time i was married but so let's not you know okay let's move on <laughs> yeah um so dan finally after a lot of back and forth we were finally making this happen man yeah so it, it it happens man um but i'm glad we're able to finally do it yeah likewise it's um it's definitely exciting so this is my first remote remote. Um, I'm actually house sitting out here near Naval Base Dahlgren. Yes. Which is quite nice since my remotes are usually done in my in-laws basement. <laughs> my point is no matter what, we were going to make this happen. Oh yeah, totally. So, we uh, improvise, adapt and overcome. Exactly. Um, you know, earlier in the, in an earlier conversation, you asked if I had any social media for the podcast, which I said no because government. But I do appreciate you trying to trying to find us on social media. Yeah, um, and I it just redirected from there to your guys's website and just kind of going over the list of the guests that you've had and you know your tenants and the reach and scope of what you guys are doing. It's pretty awesome. Appreciate that. But when you asked that, the first thing I was I did was I went and I told my boss. I was like, see. There is a need for this <laughs> podcast to have a social media presence on its own. You know, everyone does stuff like that. You know, ESPN, their shows have their own social media presence. Oh, yeah. I'm sure as a social media aficionado, you would you would agree. Yeah, I would um, exceedingly uh, <laughs> enthusiastically <laughs> endorse uh, the idea of having a social media, especially you know, for the fact that um, the one of the larger demographics that we were trying to target is the post 9-11 generation absolutely which you know all have either you know one form of social media or another because like i'm on uh twitter snapchat facebook uh linkedin instagram uh youtube a few others that i'm i'm not even aware of (laughs) yeah but i mean not just uh not just like big va you you would it's also like hey you have the podcast and you have your own personal one you kind of cross market content those i I, i'm always trying to to tell my listeners go ahead and make a facebook group or make a group chat or however you want to do it and we'll i'll engage oh yeah do you do that with your with your listeners um to an extent we um we have a, a small Facebook group, but we're we're very uh, proactive in responding to messages and um, and getting feedback. The the podcast, our podcast, the Smoke Pit, has its own um, 
Instagram and Facebook page. And then uh, Pop Smoke uh, proper has their own Facebook and Instagram. The Smoke Pit. You know, that was the reason I actually came up to you at Burbiz uh, when, when we were there, yeah. because <laughs> when I realized that the first name I ever came up for a podcast is now has now been officially taken. I was like, I got to talk to this dude. Got to talk <laughs> to this dude. But um, yeah, so a couple of years ago, well, actually, it was probably right when I first got out 2015. I wrote a whole manifesto on the smoke pit. And we had this group called the Coalition. It was all these combat camera types, all these public affairs types. Yeah. So the, the smoke pit was something I thought about in 2014. And then when I saw you and I was like, well, there it went because, uh, because it's already started and, and you, you got it rolling, rolling and you got it going, rolling, rolling pretty good. So, yeah, we, um, we kind of went back and forth and trying to decide what we should call it. And it kind of went into the spirit of what we try to bring to the, um, the podcast itself is that one of the, the, the things that I hear the most people say that they miss about the military is the camaraderie and, you know, whether you smoked or you didn't, everybody went to the smoke pit and that's where Absolutely. you told stories and gossip and, you know, got the, uh, the Lance Corporal underground or the E4 mafia gossip, you know? Absolutely. If you want to know anything about what's going on anywhere, you went to the smoke pit. Yeah, for sure. And, um, <laughs> even more so if like, you know, you saw that one pretty girl who smoked like you know, 10 guys who didn't smoke were, you know, <laughs> were now smokers. Absolutely. So what year did you join the military? I came in 2004 and I served through 2016. They uh, deployed me a handful of times, Iraq, Afghanistan, Jordan, Cuba. So math or marine says that's about 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just about. And, you know, much with, uh, with other things that we tell ladies, uh, it was actually 11 years and like nine months, but I round up. Yeah. Uh, uh, the previous host said, you know, a little over, and then you say that you say the number. Cause I always, if you listen in the archives to, to uh, where the previous uh, host interviewed me, I always had that struggle. Like, so how do you actually say that? Because you want to say over that that amount of years, like, hey, I did more than this amount of years, but you don't want to say something like, I did twelve years and five months and four days. It makes you sound like a you know, like a like a toddler who is like, oh, I'm I'm five and a half or five and three quarters. <laughs> exactly. I figured my time in the uh, the debt program when I was a pulley that should kind of count. <laughs> And then just like the pure amount of emotional stress and turmoil that was put on my soul from pointless endeavors um, that was removed from my life. Um, I, f I figured that should count for something too. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like you said, you don't want to sound like a petulant child. So if you, could, yeah. if you could just go with a little over and then say you're, you know, a little over 12 years, I think that I, when you said that, I was like, yeah, that, that actually kind of sounds like, you know, I did my, I did, I did, I want that extra credit, but. You know, yeah, yeah. Twelve years is uh is is just a good round number. I was uh, an O three eleven infantry. I was a combat instructor at Quantico, uh, range NCO down in uh, Chesapeake. Then I was a liaison between the Navy and the Marines in Guantanamo Bay. Oh, cool! Uh, which was a super cool billet. The uh, the Navy was actually in charge of me, and they uh, they treated me with this. Um, well, we we don't use this word in the Marine Corps, so I may not be saying it right, but. Uh, Respect? Is that is that a real word? <laughs> what? Uh, where did you find respect? Uh, from the Navy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. They actually treated me very well, and uh, it was it was definitely it was kind of like being a beat child, and like somebody offers you like some sort of kindness, and you like hiss at the light. Because <laughs> uh, there's that. Well, uh, there's that. Uh, there's that mystique about the Marine Corps. That's one of the reasons that they did it. They're like, oh, Marine. 
Okay. Yeah. You know, they found this devil dog that had, you know, been clearly abused for the last decade <laughs> and they're like, it's all right. Nobody's going to hurt you here. <laughs> and, go just you know, go do your thing. Just go do your thing. Yeah, they lured me out with uh <laughs> with tobacco and energy drinks. <laughs> so why did you join the military to begin with? Uh short and sweet answer, 9-11. Okay. I was in high school when that happened. I had family that lived in Manhattan and uh you know really cut to the core of me. When did you graduate high school? Well, I actually technically didn't. Uh, the day I turned 18, I uh, dropped out, took my GED tests and uh, went to the recruiting office with that because it actually saved me about nine months. Oh, wow. I wanted to get it on real quick. Yeah. Because I figured, you know, I could just sit around and, you know, just wait or I could just take the most direct route because I honestly didn't expect to, uh, <laughs> to, to come back from those deployments, you know, joining, you know, the Marine Corps, especially the infantry at that point in time, like Fallujah had just happened. Yeah. And, um, then, you know, 12 years and five deployments later, I'm like, you know, like, what do I do with my life now? So when you were, when you were in, who was either your best friend or your greatest mentor? As far as mentors go, I'd probably have to say my squad leader. He was a pretty righteous dude. He, uh, he was in the, the Swedish, uh, I, I don't know what the direct equivalent is for like how it would translate, but they're pretty, some pretty high speed mountain unit. Okay. And then he came to the Marine Corps. He got promoted to Sergeant before three years. He was the honor grad at Ranger school. Then he went MARSOC. Um, what's his name? Just, uh, Sergeant Liborg, Michael Liborg. Gotcha. And he was, a he was a real intense dude. And, he, um, he's tact tactically and technically proficient and really taught me pride as an infantryman because, you know, a lot of people like to say that, oh, they're just knuckle draggers or, you know, they're idiots and stuff. And honestly, some of the smartest people I've ever met were in the infantry. I mean, you must not be that smart if that's the route you chose, but, you know, I scored a 94 on my ASVAP and, um, <laughs> Yeah, that's what the recruiter told me. I mean, it must not be that smart, but the, the idea that uh, you know, you kind of got you kind of with a ninety four, you would have been qualified to do any job in the military. And brother, man, I'll be honest with you. I'd spend the entire night before playing uh, PS two nice. WWE SmackDown. Yes, yes, that was my jam, dude. Yeah, I'm um, I'm sitting there with Kane, you know, choke slamming people through tables all night, and it's like seven a.m. and I'm like, oh crap, I gotta go take my ass fab. <laughs> I was, yeah. was a Jeff Hardy dude. Yeah, Swanton Bomb. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I uh, I had a lot of pride in the fact of like being an infantryman. And so, you know, he put me on to like different books about tactics and uh, Marine Corps Doctrine Publication 1, War Fighting was kind of like, like I had a copy of that in my, in my pocket for about a decade until they put it digitally and I could finally download it to my phone. Because, you know, it's one thing just to kind of like charge the enemy and shoot. It's another thing to repel a complex ambush while, you know, setting a base of fire, a maneuver element, calling in, uh, you know, medevac and uh, coordinating with adjacent units. And so like to, to be a good leader in the infantry, you have to have some level of intelligence. Exactly. You can't just be, Absolutely. you can't just be physically fit and loud like that. That might work, work for some aspects, but to actually be a good leader, I feel that there's a lot of stuff you got to know. Yeah. And you uh, have to be able to think quickly on your feet and I set up a proper you know, defense I, and all that, everything, you know? Yeah. I absolutely loved it. It was, it was one of my, uh, one of the most proud moments of my life was leading Marines in combat because I was on my second deployment and I was an E3 as a Lance Corporal and I was leading deployments as a 21 year old. I'm sorry, leading uh, patrols as a 21 year old in Iraq. So you did that for 12 years. Why did you decide to get out? Well, um, 
I had did five deployments in the first uh, 10 years. And then the last two years I was at the range and then they tried to send me back to the same unit I just came from and beautiful 29 palms. <laughs> well, you know, there's not a palm in sight. <laughs> nope. Just methods. <laughs> and they, uh, they sent me back to third battalion, fourth Marines. And I was like, dude, like I literally just came from there. Like you could have sent me to Hawaii anywhere. or Pendleton anywhere or, you know, literally anywhere else. And at that point it was just kind of like, I really felt like a disposable hero. Like I had just gotten passed over for selection because they said that I had, I had never done a, a B billet like recruiting or drill instructor. Uh, I had just, you know, constantly. Was this for staff sergeant? Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. constantly done deployment. So they passed me over selection and then they were going to send me back to, you know, the, the most dismal base that, you know, they have for infantrymen. And I, and it was just really offensive. Just like after everything I've done, after everything I've sacrificed, like I just felt like a disposable hero. And I was like, you know, there's there's better for me out there. I've already given enough. Yeah. And that's a it's a tough you know, like you talked about not having that extra billet. Uh, you know, you were coming up on what at least at over 11 years, you wouldn't had many chances to, to be to be looked at again. No, you no. Know, if, if I had fought it, I could have got one more. But the thing was, what year, what, they didn't, what year was that again? 2016. So that was kind of when they were paring down too and getting really competitive. Yeah. And so like the thing was, is if they're like, oh, hey, look, you're not getting promoted because of this, but we got you orders to, um, you know, recruiting school and a waiver because we want you to get promoted. I'd be like, okay, well, that's something. Yeah. But they're like, no, you not getting promoted because you deploy too much. Oh, hey, by the way, we're sending you back to a deployable unit. And I was like, well, how, how, how am I supposed to get promoted next year then? Yeah. Yeah. You're just doing the same stuff. That's, that's tough. That's real tough. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, despite, everything that I did in the Marine Corps, like I still felt guilty for leaving. Sure. And I feel that I've had a lot of people tell me that they, uh, they feel less of a man or less of a woman, depending on you know who they are, because they didn't do as much as other people. Like maybe they didn't deploy enough or they didn't seem as much action as they wanted to, or they think their service doesn't count because they didn't do as many things as other people. And it's kind of hard to, to get your head around that. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that even if you were just like a paper pusher in the reserves, like you still did more than like 99% of people did. Absolutely. You know, you, you stopped and you rose that you raised that, that right hand and said, I'll go. I don't care what it, it might be five deployments. It might be sitting in an office for, for four years. But at the end of the day, you're the one that volunteered. And uh, you, there's, there's, there should be a certain amount of pride for that. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that throughout, um, you know, all different MOSs and jobs and rates and branches and even in different countries, you know, we have allies in Australia that they uh, or, you know, different countries in England. Like I have good friends who are in, in foreign militaries and they have expressed those kind of concerns to me uh, because there isn't the same kind of recognition in other countries that there is in America for veterans. Uh, of course. Yeah, Absolutely. In America, you know, like the, the word veteran is a real hot topic. Like anytime you see it in the news, people kind of like, you know, focus a little bit more. Yep. Um, and, but it's, it's not necessarily like that. Like I have a friend in Australia who she went to Afghanistan, she was a combat medic and like she saw action and then like, she'll, you know, be out on like, uh, their version of uh veterans day, which is Anzac and, uh, people will be like, Oh, they, you know, that's, uh, you know, they wear their medals like on, on suits and stuff. Kind of like we do. Yep. And she'll be like, Oh, they'll be like, Oh, that's nice. Are those your dad's medals or are those your husband's medals? <laughs> and you know, she's like, which country I, was this? Australia. Noted. 
And so I'm actually heading there next week to do a, a meet and greet with uh, a lot of uh, a lot of my followers out there. Good, good. Yeah, I heard on your your uh, Drinking Bros podcast that's like your second most listened to uh, country is Australia. Yeah, which is uh, well, this as far as cities goes, but um, gotcha. yeah, it's it's wild because we have listeners in 55 different countries yep. and for the podcast and you know, the idea that whether, you know, you wore Marpat or ACU or multicam or, you know, uh, tiger stripes from another country, the uh, experience of being a veteran is, or serving the military is pretty universal. You know, this, the uh, born the battles, second country, most listened to exactly. country, Thailand, Thailand, Thailand. Wow. Uh, uh, there must be a lot of expats out there or something. But yeah, the official VA Born the Battle second most listened to country is Thailand, which I wouldn't mind going to, to be honest, to go see them, my listeners. I mean. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I watched a, uh, a special on it was one of those like sleepless nights where you're just kind of like going through the different streaming services, trying to find something to distract you from the voices, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I watched um, a documentary on uh, military training in Thailand. and It was pretty intense. I love your humor. I, I, I caught you, caught you here, talking about the, the small voices there. Um, if, you, if people listen to your podcast and, and go on your Instagram, the pop smoke media, uh, sometimes the humor is pretty dark, pretty dark. Right. <laughs> and this is, this is a clean lyric show, but, yeah. but for those civilians that are listening and airmen, uh, why do you think dark humor resonates so well with the rest of the military community? I feel because uh, whether it's modern day warriors or if you you know read books um, and or historian accounts of militaries of uh, you know, ancient history, specifically like the Spartans and stuff, uh, dark humor has always really resonated through uh, military service. Where there's a there's a really great book called uh, Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield, yes. where it's kind of like the the account of the Spartans and you know there was a point where they're in the uh they're trying to infiltrate an enemy camp and they look over at one guy and he's just like hey don't look so miserable you know they were all miserable and he's like the only way i could you know be more miserable is if uh, a snake you know crawled up my rear and had quintuplets so it's always, it's always been there it's always yeah. been there and then not not to mention that but just uh recently uh something came out where uh 1800 years ago, Roman soldiers, uh, drew <laughs> obscene things on, uh, on walls. <laughs> uh, what, what, what's the, what, what's the clean lyrics way we can say this? Uh, we'll just say ob obscene things. Okay. All right. Uh, a, a spear of sort. A spirit of sort. Absolutely. Um, a short sword. <laughs> very good. Um, so this, that's the kind of humor you're obviously into and you got a pretty good social media following, especially on Instagram and on, on Facebook. Um, how did you find your way into this? I mean, it's kind of turned into a little bit of a social media empire now that you got going with the podcast and some other things, uh, some video work. How did you find this? What was your transition like when you got out in 2016? Well, I did the transition training and I said, you know, I, I, um, I don't want to be a cop or security guard. You know, those are great professions, but you know, that's kind of the whole reason I'm leaving this life is I don't want to have to carry a gun and body armor for the rest of my life. And, sure. uh, they said, all right. And they looked over my training and my qualification and they said, well, if you don't want to do that, then, uh, you're qualified to be a crossing guard or a janitor. Really? And I was like, all right, cool, that's, cool, cool, that's cool, what cool, cool. in taps. Yeah. A crossing guard or a janitor. And, yeah, I'm at this point, I'm 30. Like, I don't want to go be the high school janitor, you know, like. Um, That's super weird because a lot of the infantry guys, I, when I was in TAPS, they were, they, they focused on the soft skills like they should have been. And that, but that, that was in 2015 when I got out. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of um, I, I'd say a little bit of snake oil because you know they they try to tell you like oh yeah you know your leadership and uh, decisiveness and dependability like you know companies are after this and it's like all right well like that that's not something that's mutually exclusive just to infantry so you know you have a couple million people who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan and they're all two hundred fifty thousand getting out every year yeah and they're. They're, uh, you know, they're all vying for the same jobs. And if you, and if you don't have a, um, a degree, if you're like me, who I didn't even get a high school diploma, sure, because you know, I, I figured I was going to get schwacked, um, you know, despite my best efforts and all my Medal of Honor runs, that uh, <laughs> I, I, I just have to say I'm very disappointed in the uh, the marksmanship instructors because I'm not a small target. <laughs> I'm a pretty big guy. A couple got close. But you're, you're, you're a big guy now, but you weren't so big back then. I mean, I've always been. Uh, the Marine Corps is kind of like uh, Napoleon syndrome. Sure. Where, especially with females, like most people join the Marine Corps because someone told them they couldn't do it. Sure. And so. That's one of the reasons um, I joined. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so at 5'11 and back then 200 pounds, like I was usually the biggest guy in my squad. Really? Oh, we're going to a photo and pop smoke. I was like, he didn't look so big when he was in didn't know you were yeah that, yeah i know you're that big I've, yeah i've gained a little bit of weight since then i call as, that i call that freedom weight man it's freedom yeah because <laughs> yeah, like the thing is is like somebody said something like oh man like you know you got fat and i'm like all right so like at what point in time do you deserve respect for your service like would you walk up to a korea vet and you know just tell them that they're fat and uh <laughs> it's, it's interesting how our generation does that and like my first deployment was like Back in 2005, that was 14 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's like, at what point in time, like, are you allowed to relax and enjoy life? I wonder if social media has, has made that a thing too. I wonder if that's kind of an influence, you know, they can still yeah, take because, photos of you, uh, oh, you know, really nice digital photo of you from like, oh, three, oh, four, oh, five. And then they look at you now and you're like, wow, it's changed. Well, yeah, that was like 15 years ago. Yeah. And especially because... Uh, a lot of veteran owned companies are tailored towards either fitness or fitness apparel or sure. something like that, which is perfectly fine, you know? And so everybody's like, Hey, you know, like, did you um, like post your time for your Murph on Memorial day? And I was like, I spent my Memorial day, like locked in my room, trying not to kill myself. Like I wasn't out doing burpees. Mm. Mm. <laughs> there like, there's that dark humor. Yeah. So I did listen that you actually did go to the VA for help in some of that, that, that area, uh, in your escape, the VA episode. Oh yeah. And your guest was a great guest. Uh, the story, how client four came to be is pretty cool. And I get it, man. And an organization as lo- as large as the VA, like every service or government entity for that matter. Um, not every experience is going to be the greatest. And I, and I remember I listened to your episode and, and, and listened that you didn't get the greatest experience at that time at the VA. And if, if they want to, if if our, my listeners want to know what that experience was, they can go in and listen to your episode. Um, I was there too, man. My first experience with the VA, it, I almost felt like I was being blamed for my injuries. Um, but I can tell you, man, uh, there's a lot of civilians and there's a hell of a lot of veterans out there that work in the VA that truly are doing their best to help each, to help, you know, fellow service members. Um, so, but I do get that, that, that experience of the VA and, and I it feel can like always, it can always, and it can always be better. I feel like at the end of the day, whenever you find fault in something, you should do two things. One, you should see how you can make things better. And so, you know, people that may have something negative to say, it's like, well, you know, like what have you done to make things better? 
And, you know, there's lots of different things you can do, especially in your local area. And then two, you have to point the finger at yourself and see where you can hold yourself accountable. And people that have issues with wait times and like, oh, well, it took, you know, X amount of time for me to get an appointment. But then they're the same people that when it is time for their appointment, they'll either not show up or cancel last minute. And it's like, you know, you can't in good faith complain about long wait times when you're missing your appointments because somebody else could have had that spot. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. And there's been times where the VA has called me and they're like, hey, we have an appointment for you, you know, 28 days from now, but something just opened up tomorrow. Can you make it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll clear my schedule and I'll make it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, being able to... identify a problem, but then also try to identify solutions and then hold yourself accountable. I think if every veteran who walked through the doors of the VA held themselves as accountable as they would have held their subordinates when they're active duty, I think it would be heads and tails better. Sure. And I, I, I mean, with the mission act coming out, uh, and, and appeals modernization, it's like, I, I see the VA is really trying to make a, uh, they're really trying to improve what they're doing. Uh, even from, the past couple of years that, that I've seen. Um, have you seen any, have you gone back since that experience on your, on your, on your episode? Yeah, I've, um, I've been back and I, you know, starting, um, I went in and I had, uh, an, an evaluation or an intake, uh, to be you know, assigned a different, uh, primary care provider. And it was, uh, it was an intense experience. It was one of those things where going into it, I knew that they're going to want to get to the meat and potatoes of thing. They're going to want to rip open some scars. And I, so I knew that it was going to be intense. So before I went in there, I got a hold of, you know, a couple of my closest friends and I was just like, Hey, like I need you guys, you know, to follow up with me around this time. Because like, I knew that I was going to need a good support network when I walked out of those doors because it was going to be an emotional experience. Got you. Um, another interesting book that I've read is uh, on killing by Rex Grossman, who taught uh, psychology at West Point. And you have World War II veterans who saw arguably some of the worst combat to ever be seen, right? Uh, Absolutely. You know, Battle of the Bulge, Peleliu, Iwo Jima. Yep. And, you know, they came home and they were called the greatest generation, ticker tape parades, you know, uh, everybody, you know, reveres and adores them. And then so you have Vietnam veterans who, you know, you know, arguably saw, you know, some of the worst combat that Americans have seen, maybe not to the same size and scale, because what a lot of people don't realize is we dedicated the about the same amount of manpower to t- the entire Vietnam conflict as we did to the single taking of the island of Okinawa in World War Two. Sure. So yep. people that, you know, say that we you know lost a conflict, it's very frustrating because we never lost a major battle. Um, and only a fraction of the resources that we dedicated to other conflicts were dedicated to this. And it wasn't a war, you know, it was, it just, it was helping, um, you know, Monroe doctrine trying to keep a, a sovereign state free from communism, but I digress. Um, they saw, you know, uh, way city and case and stuff like that, bad combat. They came home and they were, you know, called baby killers and spat on and, you know, disgrace. Yep. And a lot of them were ashamed of their service. Now, what, uh, what the, the book says is that, the stressor itself isn't indicative to one's injuries. Um, it can either be 
multiplied or mitigated by the support network that they have when they return home. So World War II vets come home, you know, they get parades, everybody loves them, great economy, easy to find a job. They're not worried about stress or like they're not stressed about like that as much as when you compare that to the Vietnam veterans. And that's why the suicide rate is staggeringly different. Because you yeah. can see that even though they both went through, you know, large scale battles and you know, had a uh, fierce combat, one had a good support system upon return, one did not. And you can look at the numbers and see how important it is to have that support network. Dropping, you're dropping truth bombs there, uh, there, Daniel. This is a did not expect that <laughs> from a meme generator. You know, <laughs> well, that's that's why I had to start the podcast because it's it's kind of hard to you know change somebody's perspective on something through you know twelve words on a picture. What's the goal of your podcast? Um, Obviously, that's different than what you're doing with your memes and all your all your jokes. I mean, it's kind of a, whether. You got a different direction, whether it's with the memes or, you know, the the nonprofit events that we do or the advocacy or the journalism or the podcast, you know, it really is all the same goal, just mainly chasing women. And <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. And but gotcha. it, it's mainly just uh, to foster a sense of camaraderie in the community, like somebody who, you know, served their four years honorably and they got out and they go back home to middle of nowhere, Iowa or you know, uh, yeah. a, a place that may not be as pro-military as one would like. Or military is not as prevalent. Yeah. You, know? you know, maybe there's not as many veterans there or, you know, the, you know, the, the people there aren't necessarily as considerate about it. You know, they can come to. That, that military civilian divides pretty wide some areas. Yeah. And even if, and I, I think the, the divide is kind of, it's kind of like the Grand Canyon where some areas are wider than others, but there's still a divide. And I yeah. feel that some civilians through their best intentions, they want to be supportive, but they just don't quite know how. Like I had, you know, civilians call me and say, you know, like, you know, hi, Dan, like, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done for this country and just happy Memorial Day. Like, I just really hope it's a great day for you. And you know, I kind of grit my teeth and you know, I'm polite and I'm like, well, thank you for, you know, thinking of me because that, you know, yeah. it, it was considerate of them. They just didn't go, you know, uh, good initiative, bad judgment. Yeah. They don't know exactly how to go about yeah, it. And you so know, they, I they're a, trying. I a, yeah. I had a professor in Syracuse, uh, you know, he, it was an all military, uh, with combat camera and public affairs, uh, our advanced training is to go be a student at Syracuse university for a year. And so it's a joint program. There's four from each service. And we're all in this class and we have this professor and he's trying to use military terms in describing things and talking about things. And it was super irritating. It, it you know, he's probably a nice guy, but it immediately turned us off. <laughs> you know? He's like, you know, you check Roger that. And we're just like, stop, just yeah. stop what you're doing. Just be you, you know, and, and we'll, we'll adjust, we'll adjust, but don't come at me with all this jargon that you heard saving private Ryan. Yeah. So the idea is that like this guy who, um, you know, works in a blue collar job or maybe in a white collar office where the, you're not able to have the same experience and stuff. They can, you know, if they're having a stressful day and they go on their lunch break or smoke break or whatever, they can, you know, open up my social media and see new content posted almost daily. I, I create a lot of the memes that I post and, Yes. And you share a lot of others too. Yeah, and if it's good, yeah. I'm going to share it. Uh, yep. People send me some hot garbage, and I'm like, okay, that's 
might be funny to like the three guys that, you know, are <laughs> that were in your shop. But like <laughs> I try to uh, make things more general because when I first started off, it was real combat heavy because that's all I knew. You know, it was sure. about stacking bodies and this, that and the other. But then like I, I ha- would have people who would message me or comment and they're like, hey, look, I don't I don't mean to be rude. But I just don't understand what this means. Can you explain it to me? And I was like, all right, well, if I want to grow my following, I need to make it not job specific, not branch specific and not even country specific in some cases exactly. where, you know, people who you know were a mechanic and, you know, the in the Norwegian army and or somebody, you know, who special forces down in um you know, and in New Zealand, like they can both relate to this one experience that I post on something. So mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, through that or listening to the podcast while they're working out or whatever, they can bring, bring them back in the fold. And then, so first and foremost is to entertain because comedy and laughter is the best medicine, you know, by some adages, but then also to tell people that it's okay to, you know, to have pain or it's okay to, you know, have issues. It's okay to be, sad occasionally. The important thing is, is that you do something about it. You know, it's okay if your straps stick into your shoulders while you're on a hike, as long as you keep walking. Daniel, I can, I can hear your passion while you're talking about this is, uh, is some of this cell therapy for you? Oh, yeah. It's very cathartic for me. I, um, I got back from Iraq and I saw a lot of my, um, my guys uh, turned to alcohol or, you know, self-destructive behavior. And that was kind of their way of coping. And I, I saw all this destruction and carnage around me people yeah. you know, killing themselves left and right or getting divorced or ruining their careers. And you know, I decided that that's not the path that I wanted to take. So I started getting certifications and suicide prevention and combat stress management and suicidal interdiction. And I, made it my initiative to kind of be like the, the, whatever unit I was in, uh, the representative for that. Like, so I taught the, uh, the suicide prevention classes. I taught, you know, the combat stress management classes. And, and so it was really cathartic for me. Was this why you were still in or as you got yeah, out? Yeah, this started in uh, 2007. So for about nine years. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So interesting. for about nine years, I taught, um, it, you know, the, the mandatory classes and I try to make it fun and entertaining because, uh, contrary to popular belief, getting a suicide prevention class is not supposed to make you want to kill yourself more because of how <laughs> boring and dry it is. <laughs> so yeah, within exactly. the parameters of the curriculum that I was certified in, I, you know, I did my best to keep it entertaining you know, keep it short, keep it to the point, get a good message. And I, um, I kind of turned that into the social media because first and foremost, you know, you want to entertain, you want to make people laugh. Um, it, it feels good when people say that, you know, you're funny or that they enjoy going to your, 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 your pages, but then inherently you have a responsibility to be a good shepherd of, um, that following that you have, you know, to be responsible and ethical to, um, kind of steer in the direction that, you know, morally that you see fit and not saying that, you know, I am morally superior than anybody else, but at the end of the day, everybody knows at least a basic premise of right from wrong. So if I identify something that is, you know, coming up in the community and through the message boards or the memes or things that people are talking about and posting that I don't agree with it, you know, you either have the, the, the option to say something or do nothing. And that's kind of one of the hardest things that you have to decide, because if you do nothing, um, then you're not getting the message out there. But also at the same time, it's not giving publicity to negative things. 
so it's kind of a double-edged sword because you know people will message me and be like what's your perspective on this and it's almost like Hmm. you know like almost like a small town politician like whether you say something or whether you don't you're saying something yeah yep they want you to endorse it or or you know speak out against it and you know if you don't speak out against something that's a message in itself and right you know so it it kind of comes full circle as towards, you know, the, the mental health aspect, because there are a lot of people who feel that, uh, you know, humor helps uh, prevent, you know, veteran suicide more than, you know, a push-up challenge or a hashtag challenge or anything like that can, you know? Uh, one thing I think that would help you with that is uh, as a thing called the seven pillars of journalism. And it's on, it's on Google. You can look at it, but you as a now media entity, uh, there are ethical pillars in, in journalistic integrity that are supposedly still in existence. Um, take a look at them. Maybe maybe it, it'll help you with some of those things that, that are coming to you. Yeah, and I, I definitely appreciate that because I, I have done some journalism and I've yeah. gotten some really cool opportunities. Uh, I've been able to travel to Cuba and Russia and um, events all over the, the country who, who are you, who are you writing for? What's your, who are you doing journalism for? Is it video? Is it writing? Uh, mainly writing. And it was for, um, for American military news. They, you know, they, they, they do some great things and they, um, they, yeah, they got huge following. I, I share their story. I share their stories all the time. It's good stuff. So you got some, you got some articles with, with them. Yeah. And I, I did some gear review for them. I did some exposés. And then on top of that, being able to give, you know, publicity to, um, you know, veteran nonprofits and uh, events and, um, absolutely different organizations. I, I do a lot of work with a, an organization called Burbiz. It's a nonprofit. It's a burbiz.com, like bourbon and business put together. They, uh, I believe that's where, you know, you and I first met. That's where we met. Yeah. yeah and absolutely. so, you know, the listeners heard about that a few episodes ago and, um, being able to use the, the social media following to direct more people to those kind of resources. Yep. Because it's not just, you know, getting uh, funny pictures or, you know, um, or, you know, adoration and praise from, from messengers. Like a lot of the, the messages that I receive are people just like pouring their guts out to me because apparently like, you know, I'm, it's easy to find me. So like, here's this guy, like he seems knowledgeable. Let me, you know, tell him about how, you know, everything's going wrong in my life. And now I feel like obligated to help this person. And so I'm trying to find resources. Heavy lies and, the crown. Yeah. Heavy lies the crown. Uh, yeah. Uh, more our previous uh, podcast in the archives, uh, Brett Del Sandro, he's a CEO for Backpacks for yeah. Life, founder. He's like 26 years old or whatever, but he talks about the same exact thing that, hey, you almost feel obligated when these when these come, things come to your doorstep. Um, heavy, heavy lies the crown. Um, so now you have that this 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 media uh, entity, I guess, through Instagram and Facebook um, where, you know, you share and develop memes and, and you have your podcast. What are, what is Pop Smoke Media's future goals? Well, our future goals are to, uh, to continue to grow our following and to continue to find new and inventive ways to bring people together and to entertain and um, help publicize good messages and help steer people towards getting the help that they need. Very good. Uh, so what is one thing that you learned in service that you apply to what you do today? I think it's about constantly improving your position. Um, okay. I, Interesting. Haven't heard that one before. Yeah, there's there's a, an old movie. 
uh, I, I forget the name, but basically it was a, a small platoon of British soldiers and they're about to be attacked by a large indigenous force. And the, the commanding officer was just like, you know, uh, what, what have you guys done today to, you know, in, 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 improve the battlements? And like, oh, we did this, this and next. And he's like, we'll do something else. Like, you know, there's always something you can do to fortify your position, advance your position, uh, shape mm. the battlefield, get to get to a point where you feel more comfortable dying on that hill. And, you know, there's that's an expression that, you know, is very common in the in the lower ranks of the of the infantry is like when people are seeking cover and concealment, when you're setting in like, you know, are you ready to defend that piece of earth to the death? And like, no, we'll sure. get to a better position then. And I think that when you get out of the military, people don't quite realize nobody cares. If you go bankrupt and die in a ditch, that's on you. Uh, the, you don't- Even if you are in the military, I was told my Marines, nobody cares more about you and your career than yourself. Yeah, that's that's very true. But in the civilian aspect, you're not required to be anywhere. You're not required to be at a formation. You're not guaranteed a paycheck. You're not going to have a corporal or a sergeant that's going to come bang on your hatch if you're late for formation. Or there's no next rank. There's no roadmap. None of yeah, that. Yeah, and nobody cares. And so a lot of people get out expecting to have a chief or you know a petty officer or someone there to kind of direct them, and that's just not the case. And in order to be successful when you get out. And I don't mean that in monetary aspect because the definition of success is different from person to person. Sure. One person's definition of success might be being able to give his, you know, his wife and his kids a good life. Another person's definition of success is making all their ex-boyfriends jealous. You know, it, absolutely. <laughs> mine is happiness. And, um, these days and, you know, for guys like us, that it's kind of hard to come by. So for me, my definition is success is happiness and the social media, being able to help other people, being able to entertain and see something that I've created and craft grow and be appreciated. That's success to me. And, you know, being able to you know, travel and go to a different events and um, have a comfortable life. Those are those are secondary because I've been happy in a rainstorm in a dirt hole. I've been happy, you know, in a penthouse suite surrounded by models like <laughs> I've been happy either way. And sure, it's. You know, it's a very broad definition. So whatever your definition of success, you have to work for it. You have to earn it daily. You have to continue to improve your position. You have to continue to see what you can do to advance that. And if you are not happy with your position in life, then, you know, you need to work for it. If, need to make a change. Need to make a change. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, one of, one of the things that I keep reminding myself is that, you know, if, um, if you surround yourself with good people and you have realistic expectations and you work towards those things, things are obtainable. But at the end of the day, Absolutely. you know, if you're, you get to write your story and each day is a new opportunity to advance that position. And if you're not happy with where you are, then that just means you're only at a checkpoint. You need to put your pack back on. You need to continue walking. There was a, a previous um, guest. His name was Carol Harris. And he talked about being uncomfortable his happiness was being uncomfortable because he knew that's where the adventure was. I just, I thought that was a great, great quote. You know, it was like, Hey, if you're comfortable, that's not homeostasis. You know, that's if, if you're not, if you're not happy, but you're comfortable, you need to start doing something to be uncomfortable in order to advance your yeah, position to, uh, to achieve personal growth. Exactly. Um, and, and happiness is hard to attain a hundred percent of the time. I mean, 
I, I, I've, I've gone back and forth on that as well. It's like happiness. Well, you know, there's gonna be times where you're not happy, but can you find joy in every day? You're like, you know, can you find the joy of who you are and where you're at? I think looking at it that way, cause yeah, I got it. It's, it's hard to be happy all the time and no one likes a dude that's happy all the time. Yeah, because what a lot of people forget is that like they they look at themselves and they look at other people and they try to compare their success to other people to define their happiness. And that's kind of the the dark side of social media. And, you know, you have to remember the days that like, you know, you're out in the field and the only bit of happiness that you had was, you know, that you were lucky enough that the Skittles in your MREs weren't expired <laughs> or only slightly expired. Or someone didn't open the charms in the field. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's. You know, I had some of the happiest I've ever seen people in their life was, you know, on a rooftop in Iraq and, you know, some, you know, some boot was uh, dumb enough to trade, uh, you know, his brownie and jalapeno cheese spread for, you know, some expired uh, Skittles. <laughs> and, you awesome. know, so that, you know, the greatest, you know, the greatest joy in that person's life at that moment was, you know, holding that jalapeno cheese spread and, you know, that, That's awesome. the sweet taste of jalapenos on their tongue. <laughs> and then you get out and you have people who, you know, they have a thousand dollar phone in their hand. They have a vehicle roof over their head, a dry bed to sleep in, and they're not happy. And yeah. it's not, it's not things. It's not materialistic things. It's not uh, tangible things that make most of people like us happy. It's those intangible things like being appreciated, being valued, feeling proficient in whatever your job field is. Knowing that you help someone maybe, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. One of the best feelings about the military is, you know, when you're wanted to be somewhere. Granted, yeah, like it may be to either help carry sandbags or, you know, to stack on the point man before you go into a very dangerous house. But, you know, so it may not always be, you know, the comfortable feelings, but it's great to feel wanted. It's great to feel that, uh, no one, someone has your, no one, someone has your back. Yeah. And then that's, that's a great, not only that, but somebody wants you to have their back. Yes. Because to me, like, I didn't really care so much if I came back from my deployments. I The only consideration that I had, the only reason why I really always tried to advance my position and have proper cover concealment and be a hard target was that I didn't want anybody to have to carry my large self to that medevac. Like, <laughs> being the biggest guy in the squad, like, I would be a burden if I got shot. And... Yeah. So it was mainly, it was a, a sense of self-preservation. I was just like, man, like, I don't want people having to complain, you know, like, oh, Sharp, you're, you know, you're, you need to lose weight. Like why they're carrying me as a Kazovac, you know, like I, I didn't want that. No, yeah. no, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Yeah. So it's like, not that I cared about myself. I just didn't want to be a burden to other people. Mm -hmm. And, and also, you know, you want to keep the guys to your left and your right safe. And, you know, if you get a DUI or if you pop on a drug test or if you break your leg in training, that's one less rifle in the gunfight. Yeah. That's one less person to repel the enemy. That's one less set of eyes that are scanning for those, you know, um, those IED indicators. Yep. That's, you know, one less, uh, you know, Marine or soldier or airman that's there doing their job to, you know, keep everybody alive. And so the idea that like I wanted to be there because I felt like I had something to contribute, then once the sun had set on that chapter of my life, I still felt like I had something to contribute just in a different way. And so the people who are in that position where maybe they don't feel satisfied, go out and find something to get that satisfaction. Did you do anything between uh, Pop Smoke Media and the military? Like was there any kind of transition job? thing 
Yeah, I um, I, I don't want to go too much into it because, like I said, I, I make a lot of inappropriate jokes on my podcast and <laughs> yeah. my social media. Yeah, but I uh, I did smart. I did um, start a small local company in my area uh, while I was on terminal leave with the exclusive uh, goal that I would only hire veterans and their family members. Oh, very noble, very cool. And I I started the the social media kind of casually about a year or so before I got out. Yeah. And then once I got out, I was just like, wait, hold up. Like this is actually going somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So where, where can people find your social media? Where, where can people find you? Um, and if you had to sum up your podcast, the smoke pit and what it's all about, you know, take one minute, take two minutes, uh, let our listeners know what they might hear. And okay. remember, remember clean lyrics. <laughs> um, there goes the first six words. So yeah. I was gonna say. <laughs> what might, what might they hear if they tune into the smoke pit? Well, uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram uh, on Pop Smoke. Uh, Instagram is uh, Pop Smoke Official with underscores in between the words. Uh, Snapchat and Twitter as well. If uh, you want to listen to the podcast, we're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, most podcasting apps. Uh, it's called The Smoke Pit. And basically, it's myself and my co-host, uh, Mike Sensi. He, uh, he's an active duty Navy guy with a lot of experience under his belt. And basically what we do is we just go on there and we make fun of each other, um, tell embarrassing stories and just kind of relive that camaraderie that you would hear like in the back of a seven ton or, you know, in the field around the, uh, the jet boil Why you know, one guy you know, who's the only one who actually brought his Gore-Tex to the field is making everybody coffee, you know? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And it's just kind of like a, a lot of craziness, um, a lot of dark humor and um, uh, and then a little bit of advocacy and uh, resources sprinkled in there just for flavor, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked we've been talking for an hour and I don't I haven't asked you if it's Dan or Daniel. Like, which one do you prefer? Honestly, it's kind of weird when people call me by my first name because I was right? called by my by my last name for like the first year of my service. And then once you actually get promoted, like nobody calls you by your last name anymore because like the Marine Corps is super young. And like 75% of the Marine Corps is E5 and below, which is crazy compared to the other branches. So by you know, by the time I became a team leader, like 95% of the platoon were, were junior guys were boots. So it was always Lance corporal. And then, you know, when I picked up NCO, it was always Sergeant. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm barely even used to hearing my name. Cause it was always like, Oh, Hey, Sergeant, you know, S apostrophe A R N T. Yeah. You, you haven't even finished your first like civilian enlistment. Yeah. Not even <laughs> if, if we can call it that. Um, is there anything else that I didn't think of or might have missed that you, you think would be val of value to the listener? Yeah, it's it's definitely inherently important to ask yourself what you can contribute to the community, whether it be a local event that you can support, you know, maybe joining a, a veterans club or, you know, reaching out to, you know, social media pages that are in the, uh, in the veteran sphere and really telling them what your opinions are, because like, I can only make so many jokes. I can only come up with so many original ideas. Some of the best episodes that I've had, some of the best memes that I've made have been ideas from people that have messaged me because my perspective and my slice of the pie of the military is so small compared to the overall arching theme. And so to really keep an open mind and realize that just because someone didn't have the same military experience as you doesn't mean that it wasn't valid. Exactly. Absolutely. So 
you know, just keeping that open mind and being encouraging of, uh, of other people. Cause in the military, it's so easy to tear each other down. But once you get out, you have to find that it's much more difficult to try to build things than it is to destroy things. And so if you're unhappy with something that's going on, have you tried to change it? If you don't like the way something is, have you tried to change it? And if the answer is no, then shut your mouth and figure out how you can, fi- how you can do it better. That was one of the reasons I joined the VA, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you know, before this, I was with NASCAR and my wife, uh, she noticed and, and people, if they want to listen to this, it's in the archives. But long story short, my wife thought I was taking Marines to the track, combat cameras and showing them things that you wouldn't learn in taps, yeah. you know, in our field. And she was like, hey, you have an interview on Monday. I was like, for what? She was like, you're going to be telling veteran stories if you get the job. I was like, you, that's cool. Awesome. Roger that. Yeah, let's do it. Um, she saw that I still had that that passion there. And, you know, for people that, like I said, that complain about the VA, it's uh, you're absolutely right. Um, what are you what are you doing? Do something about it. I don't know off the top of my head, but there are probably dozens, if not hundreds of different VA hospitals across the country and the world. Right. Um, yeah. You, know, you have the you know, the ones that are in U.S. territories and and, and such. You have to you have to kind of look at it that it's not like, yeah, it is one overall entity, but each hospital is going to be different. Oh, yeah. Just and, like any, any huge bureaucratic organization, i.e. whatever service you were in or whatever federal government organization it is, or, or even if it's a Fortune 500 company, um, there's going to be differences in that company, whether you're on the left side of the company or you're on the right side of the company. Being uh, able to identify that, and then so you look at your hospital and you identify a problem. Well, let's work to fix it. It's it's easy enough to present a problem, but without preventing the solution, all you're doing is distracting from people who are trying to present a solution. And so you take your individual hospital, and whether it be writing a politician, emailing whoever is in charge of the area, talking to your local news, uh, working with veteran groups in the area, like. Do something. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just, you know, sending me a, a 12 paragraph long essay about how, you know, the, you know, the nurse wasn't exactly gentle with your, uh, with your prostate exam. <laughs> or yeah, or the, man, we get those on the Facebook all the time. Just these long comments. And, and we do have things like the, the veteran experience office that does pick stuff up on like that, or that does pick that up. And you have the White House uh, hotline that's in West Virginia. You know, there's an entire call center that's dedicated to hearing stuff like that and directing it to that 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 level where it needs to go. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it is a federal organization. Federal organizations are oversaw and managed by people who were voted into office. And so, you know, if you want to if you want something done, you know, do something about it. You have plenty of veterans who are in uh, Congress and the Senate and in various different local, state, and uh, federal positions, and you know that's a great place to start. Yeah, some things can't change until law until laws are made. You know, like like the, like yeah. the Mission Act. You know, people were people were uh, there was a lot of feedback on the the way remote care was done. So now the VA is trying something else. It's just like in high school when everybody said that, like, oh, this guy's a jerk. But like, oh, well, what did he do? Well, well, that's just what people say. Okay, so you've based your entire perception off of rumors and you're just regurgitating the opinions of other like form an original thought. If you've never walked through the door, you just you don't know. There have been people, plenty of people whose lives have been saved by the treatment that they've had, myself included. Like I had three blood clots in my lungs uh, like a month or so after I got out of the military. Oh, wow. 
And uh, I had three pulmonary embolisms and I went into the VA and they're like, oh, snap, boy, you're about to die. And so they, they put me in the ICU and, you know, pumped me full of the right drugs and got me stabilized and, you know, like literally saved my life. Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I still had the anger. I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go go to the VA. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people because it takes true strength to ask for help. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. Really, really, really enjoyed that. I want to thank Daniel for coming on Born the Battle. And you can find more of him either at Pop Smoke on Facebook or at Pop Smoke Official. And like he said, each for each word with an underscore on Instagram. So July 20th marked the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. In honor of that historic event, this week's Born the Battle of Veterans, plural, of the week are Navy veteran Neil Armstrong Air Force veteran Michael Collins, and Air Force veteran Buzz Aldrin. Those three veterans accomplished one of the greatest feats in human history, and it's an honor to recognize them here on the podcast. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you would like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran veteran of the week for more stories on veterans and veteran benefits check out our website blogs.va.gov and follow the va on social media twitter instagram facebook youtube rally point dept vet affairs u.s department of veterans affairs no matter the social media you can always find us with that blue check mark thank you again for listening and we will see you next week So if you're still listening to Born the Battle right now, the music has ended, the the outro's done, and this is the show after the show. It's a little bonus just to say thank you of thanks for listening this far into the podcast. Yeah. Uh, what has been one of your craziest stories since you've started this pop smoke journey? Um, I know you mentioned I know you mentioned one about Cuba. Yeah. And I, on on uh, on drinking bros. Yeah. So. Um, I was in Cuba and I, I had brought a crew down with me to help me, uh, you know, do the article and I get back, I was out for like a nice walk and it was a beautiful city. Like everybody was super nice to me. And I spoke, you know, a little bit of Spanish and the, the most Spanish than anybody in the group. And so I get back to the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the apartment that we had rented and the proprietor is furious. She, um, 
she uh, had put a sign over the bathroom that said, don't flush uh, paper down the toilet because of the embargo. All of the infrastructure is really old. Oh, OK. And, yeah. you know, because you know, everything has been there since the 50s. And so you're not supposed to flush toilet paper because it'll clog the pipes and be very costly and very difficult to repair. Yeah. And so there's a little sanitary basket, you know, um, as you would see in like a lot of older homes. And so one of the guys that was in the group, you know, was flushing toilet paper and the um, the uh, the lady you know, saw a piece floating and she was really mad about it. And so my buddy uh, who was trying to use his high school level of Spanish to de-conflict the situation because we are in a communist country and we are journalists, that, that's not a good you know, it's not a good recipe. Sure. You know, we're trying to be there low key. And she looks over and sees like our recording equipment and like our notes and stuff. And um, and so the word for paper is papel. The word for potatoes is papas. And mm. um, so he was like, no mas papas para la baño and like pointing to the toilet. And she like in her mind, she was like, wait, he just said that they won't wipe their butt with potatoes anymore and flush it down the toilet and in her mind like the idea that americans would just bring a sack of potatoes to wipe their butt with it, like it made sense because of all of the rumors you know she heard about the capitalist swine dog pigs and so she loses her mind and you know, she's threatening to call the police and she's demanding to see the sack of potatoes and so i come walking in and it is absolute chaos and and i'm like you know like i'm like what's going on and so she you know and like, and I, I only speak enough Spanish that I could understand maybe every four out of five or six words. Sure. And so sure. she's screaming at me like, you know, like your friends are wiping their butts with potatoes and flushing it down the toilet. And I was like, do what? <laughs> Excuse me? And she's demanding to know where the potatoes are. And I'm like, there, there are no potatoes. And so I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, what did you say to her? And she, and he was like, and so he repeated the sentence. And I'm like, dude, like you said potatoes. Like oh my God. the word for paper is papel. And so like I had to tell her basically like it was a misunderstanding and that indeed we are not, you know, using a, a hidden sack of potatoes that we brought with us. Cause they're like, <laughs> she's like, they're not even indigenous to this area and, oh my God. and it's a communist country. And so like, you can imagine what, you know, oh, yeah. what they oh, think yeah. Americans are like that, you know, we just, we're so rich. We can just bring a sack of potatoes to wipe our butts with. <laughs> And so I was, you know, I was half a heartbeat away from ending up in a Cuban gulag. So did it, did it finally like get squashed after you kind of like, yeah, begrudgingly, yeah, begrudgingly she uh, conceded her demand to see the sack of potatoes. Like she still doesn't believe it. Like no. she still doesn't, she thinks you still have to this day. She still thinks you have a sack of potatoes. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So if, uh, if you enjoyed this, let me know at podcast.va.gov and we'll do more stories like this with more of our guests.